You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session. We're at the top of the hour at KTDT Downtown Radio. Today we have with us Michelle. She's the founder of Authentic Choices, a path to wholeness, which offers coaching and angelic card reading. Her business is focused on helping others find their way to wholeness. We'll hear more from Michelle in a few minutes. Just a trigger warning, her story does contain elements of child abuse and sexual abuse. So if that's an issue for you or if you have young listeners, you may not, this might not be the story for you. Today, I want to talk about panic, more specifically panic attacks. I had my first panic attack three years ago. Uh, My dad had died. I'd sold my family home, broke up with my boyfriend, bought a house in Tucson, started a new job, and was experiencing pretty much full-blown paranoia. Needless to say, I was a little stressed. And I went to dinner with a friend. We had lovely Thai food. And all day that day, I had been feeling nauseous and dizzy and just thinking, God, what did I eat? And then we went to dinner. We had a lovely conversation. And I brought up something I was struggling with with another friend. And then after dinner, I went home. And I got in bed, and I I felt fine. I was still thinking about my friend and thinking about the trouble I was having with her and trying to figure out, you know, the right thing to say. We're all trying to figure out the right thing to say. And I got into bed. That, That night, I just lay there thinking nothing much. I just cleared my head and went to sleep. As soon as my head hit the pillow... My heart started beating like bam, 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 bam. And it it was freaking me out because I'd never experienced that. And I sat up in bed and I thought, okay, let's just breathe a little bit. I'll just breathe through this and my heart will relax. Bam, bam. You know, it wasn't calming down and I didn't feel anxious. So I got on the internet, as we are all like to do, (laughs) and I just started looking things up and I, I, you know, heart racing, heart beating. And the information that I got was that it could be a panic attack. It could also be a heart attack, that heart attacks for women have different symptoms than men, nausea, dizziness, and a racing heart can actually be a heart attack. So I lay down and I just thought, let's, uh, I'm just going to calmly breathe and maybe this will go away. It was close to midnight. It didn't go away. So I called my mom. She was in Michigan. It was midnight in Tucson and she was up because my mom's a night owl. Thank God. And I said, mom, my heart is racing out of my chest and I think I'm okay. I, I don't feel anxious. But this, this sounds like a classic panic attack. Do you think I'm having a panic attack? <laughs> or do you think I'm having a heart attack? Because I looked it up on the internet, you know, never look up medical things on the internet. It always causes more panic and anxiety. And I said, my heart won't calm down. And she said, well, honey, I bet you're right. You're under a lot of stress right now. I know you've gone through an awful lot this year. 
Um, do you, you know, if I, I just would hate to tell you, don't go get help. I would hate to say, oh, honey, it's probably just some anxiety, you know, take an aspirin and go to sleep and have it turn out that you're having a full-blown heart attack. And just about that time, a friend of mine or my roommate and a friend of mine came back to the house and I went out in the other room and I said, guys, I think I'm having a panic attack, but it might be a heart attack. And, um, do you, Steve, do you think you can take me to the hospital? And he said, sure, I'll take you to the hospital. No problem. I mean, without a blinking an eye. So he drove me to the hospital and I told them what was going on. There was no one in the waiting room, miraculously. So I went right in and they checked things out. And he said, well, and you know, we can do an EKG. I had no insurance. And I said, I, I, how much does an EKG cost? And he said, oh, I don't know. We don't know that information here. I'm like, you don't know what it costs? He said, no, you know, we, you know, we don't have that information in the office. That's something that billing does. And I thought about it. I thought, I guaranteed this is going to be hugely expensive. And I said, I would prefer not to have the EKG. And he did some more tests. And my heart had calmed down. It was no longer racing out of my check chest. And he said, you know, it, given your situation, I told him what was going on with me. Probably it is, you know, anxiety. Probably it is exactly what you think it is. But, you know, we can't rule it out without an EKG. And I said, you know what, I'm going to turn down the EKG. And they'd given me some Xanax. So he gave me a prescription for Xanax. And I said, I'm probably not going to take that. I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't take pills for anything. I don't even take aspirin. I hardly even get a headache. I don't really want to take something. And he said, okay, but here's the deal. Take this home with you. Keep it in your cabinet. And the next time your heart is racing out of your chest, take a Xanax. And if your heart doesn't calm down, then you know you do need to go to the hospital. I said, oh, actually, that's really smart. I like that advice. I think I'll take you up on that. So I got my prescription for Xanax and I put it in my cupboard. And there were a few more times that year where I'd wake up. It was weird. It was, I'd be fine and I would not feel anxious. I would not feel stressed, which it turns out that is very common with panic attacks. You don't feel anything. You feel fine. And then the minute I took a rest, the minute my head was on the pillow and I was ready to go to sleep, my heart would start going bam, 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 bam. And I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know what? I bet this is a panic attack body. I'm having a panic attack right now. Let's not get overblown and excited about this. It's just a panic attack. And it would calm down. And I never did take any of the Xanax. And I made it through that year. I started telling some friends, you know, I, I had this panic attack the other night. And I didn't even feel anxious. I felt fine. But my heart was racing. And a couple of friends said, oh, yeah, I've had those. Yeah, it, 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 isn't, it isn't that you feel anxious. Your body is reacting your body absorbs all of these things that happen in your life and holds it in tight. And it comes out in the weirdest ways. It can come on stomach ailments. It can come out with digestive problems. You might, on a conscious emotional level, feel fine. And on some other level, feel torn apart and anxious. You can trick your mind into going about your day, but you can't trick your body. It, it will re react to things. So after that, I have not had a panic attack for years, but just the experience of having one really made me aware of, of how much the body tells you when you've had too much. Your body can tell you, this is too much. I, this is, this is overwhelming. 
And it helped me look for help. It helped me ask the right people. I actually have a, a shiatsu massage therapist who I started seeing him at that time. I was also having perimenopausal symptoms, you know, having my period all the time and things like that. And he, I'd go to see him and I, and he did work on my body. I thought if it's my body, that mind body relationship, mind body spirit relationship, I think that talk therapy might not be the most helpful at the thing at this time. And I'd go in and come out and I'd be good for two or three days. And he really, I saw him every week. He really got me through the toughest time in my life. I'd done talk therapy before. And at that time, I didn't feel like I could talk my way out of what I was going through. And so that's just a story about panic, (laughs) anxiety, and all those wonderful (laughs) experiences. So today, I want to welcome to the studio, Michelle. She is the founder of Authentic Choices, A Path to Wholeness. And her story, again, trigger warning, her story does contain elements of child abuse and sexual abuse. So if that's an issue for you or if you have young listeners, I recommend for this section of the show, um, you know, maybe maybe listen to another station. (laughs) So, Michelle, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored (laughs) and excited yay, (laughs) and nervous and nervous yes appropriately your body's probably having some reactions right now right (laughs) yes actually (laughs) so can you tell me a little bit more about what you do at authentic choices a path to wholeness it's a variety of different things it depends on who shows up but the main reason or the main thing that I do is I help people identify their wholeness again through tools or through ceremony And just basically help them to realize the beauty that they are and the uniqueness that they are. So, yeah. So what what exactly do you mean by wholeness? Well, I believe something that I have been shown is that we're already whole. But when life in, in being here, we have pains and we have suffering, we have losses And it closes us off to being able to really see who we really are already. Mm -hmm. So it's help. I provide space to help them to shed those those attachments or those beliefs or those thoughts so that they can go back to seeing who they really are. Like their core, their core being aside from all the things we experience. Correct. Wow. Yes. Yes. And so because my I've always believed that we're all unique and beautiful no matter what. And life, due to experiences, due to circumstances, I mean, you name it, it doesn't matter what it is, we've all been through it. It it lessens our belief in believing that we're beautiful sometimes. Yeah. You know, and so I want to help people find that beauty again in who they are. Or we feel like our body is betraying us. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, exactly. Yeah, so thank you so much. And is there a website people could go to if they were interested? Yes, it is www.authentic-choices.com. All right. So, Michelle, tell us the story of your depression. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, I have probably experienced depression all of my life off and on. From the time I was 18 months old up until I was probably 40, I've experienced varieties of of sexual abuse um, 
At 18 months old was the earliest sexual abuse that I had. The memory, the first memory that I had was three years old. And my one of my family members was the constant sexual abuser in my life. Started, like I said, when I was 18 months old. My father uh, found me with my my diaper off. So I don't remember that one, but I do remember when I was three. And so from three years old on up, I have memory of being sexually abused. My dad left when I was six, five between five and six years old, my real father. And my mother remarried, and that person um, also began to sexually abuse me, uh, which was very difficult, obviously, because now I had two abusers. And within that year that they were married, I was also at an age that I could go and spend time with friends in the neighborhood. So I would go to a friend's house and stay the night, and their father would come in and sexually abuse me. And I know that he must have been abusing the other two little girls as well. He had to have been. But, of course, I never saw that. It was always me that was being, you know, abused at that time. <clears throat> During that year, I had made the decision that I didn't want to be abused anymore. So I remember at one point I was sitting on the couch. I can still see the couch. I can still feel the couch. And my stepfather came in, and he had asked me to perform things that I no longer wanted to do. And I said, no. I don't want to do that. At which point he went in and uh, my little brother, who was three years old at the time, he was laying and sleeping in bed. And he, uh, he got him and he threw him across the room as he was sleeping. And he said, you will never say no to me again. Which, of course, as a child, you know, it's devastating and it's hard. And so I began to... Uh, <clears throat> Not, not only was I already feeling, you know, fear, you know, because I was being sexually abused, I now had the inability to say no, which only added to my, you know, the abuse or the depression. And, and I didn't realize that I was in depression, but I was as a child because I was very lonely. Um, I couldn't connect to other kids. I wanted to be a part of something, and the other children, I felt... I just couldn't connect, and that was really my sign of being in a depressed state. So anyhow, so I was abused by that. My, the family member continued to abuse me because we lived in the, in the home, and so it was a constant situation until I was probably about 13 or 14 years old when I finally said no more. And because I said, again, no more, my grandmother decided that she was going to disown me <laughs> because I said no more. Because how could her child do this to, to someone? She just couldn't believe that. So again, it was that isolation. So, um, so I had, I had an, a family member. I had a neighbor. I also had a teacher that abused me. And so in that course, it led me to have anorexia. I had anorexia from the time I was 14 until my 20s. I ended up pregnant at 14, had no clue because I'd been sexually abused. I didn't realize any of those things. No one ever talked about it. And I remember very specifically, nobody knew either that I was pregnant. I took a bus 
in a cab. I was living in Benson. That's where I grew up. And I took a bus and a cab home, and I hiked home after the procedure. And I was devastated. I remember crying and thinking, oh, my God, and what is going on? I, um, my mom also during that time shortly after um, almost died. And so I guess what I'm, the point that I'm trying to make is in this, in this course of this, I had become very isolated and very alone. And I remember thinking that, I remember feeling like I was in a tin can and I had no one to talk to. I had no way to get out of it. And, you know, people have asked me, well, you know, how did you, how did you get through that? How did you not end up doing drugs or alcohol? You know, I wasn't necessarily promiscuous or anything like that. But, you know, I, the, the only thing that I can say is that for me, what <clears throat> I learned in that, in that time was that I could rely on myself, if that makes any sense. Um, I also used to sit in front of a mirror and talk to myself because I was so alone. So I got through through that. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of frustration. I was down to 88 pounds. You know, then I reached 18. You know, I, I had, I was raped at 18. I was raped again at 24. And I was raped again at almost 40. So, you know, I guess that gives you a history of my sexual abuse. And uh, one of the things that um, I remember, which is, I di- again, I didn't realize that I was in depression. You know, I didn't realize the anxiety that you just described that I was experiencing at eight, nine years old, at 18. I mean, throughout my whole life. And basically, it was my whole life up until I was about 25 years old that I was experiencing some form of anxiety or depression or, you know, something of that sort. And when I turned 25 and I had left my ex-husband, that was really a pivotal point for me because I started to realize that the sexual abuse, um, everything that I had experienced as a child, which is even more than what I'm expressing right now, was causing this depression. I was like, depression? What is depression? Well, it was the isolation that I was feeling. It was the you know, fact that I had anorexia and then turned it into bulimia. I was literally struggling with trying to express my emotions and feeling like I had nowhere to go. I didn't feel like I had real friends. No one wanted to talk about it. Nobody even, you know, it was like if you said this is what's going on, people shut you down. So I felt incredibly isolated, which has always been my key to, oh my gosh. So I went to the doctor, and I, because I was experiencing very severe uh, um, pain, pain in my body, and I was sick. I had been diagnosed at that point at 26 years, 25, 26 years old with lupus, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and um, all these autoimmune diseases. So they believe that a lot of it had been triggered because of my my mental, you know, what was going on with me mentally, which is when I started to seek help and look into how can I fix this because I was like, I don't want to be like this. And I, that is when it started me on the path of wholeness. 
um, I didn't start my company until just a few years ago. But basically, that that pivotal point was when I started realizing that I didn't have to feel this way anymore. So I began to look into everything possible that I could to expose what was had actually been going on in my life t- for me. At which point I um <laughs> sorry. I apologize. I uh I met my real dad again and that was probably the most magical experience I had because I felt like I was starting to come back to wholeness again because I could even though there was a lot of anger and frustration and all of this stuff it helped me to get back to that place I remember they had put me on some medication and um, I realized that that was not the key for me so for me one of the things that I have done is no matter what the circumstances that have come about, which has been, you know, I've lost both of my parents. I didn't think I'd ever survive through that. I had anxiety. I had loneliness. I, all of that. I lost a child at 42, um, you know, and, and that was horrific because I wanted a baby so badly. I now have a beautiful son, but at that time it was, it was like, how can I ever survive this? Which is what's, initially spurred me to honestly to start the pathway to wholeness because I was in my home for four or five days all by myself with no one you know after the loss of my baby and my baby was in my freezer waiting to do a proper burial on it you know so which is horrible but you know that was the experience that doctors had you know it because she was only for 20 weeks, I was only 20 weeks pregnant, um, they allowed me the ability to give her a proper burial. So their suggestion was that I put her in the freezer. And here I was alone, struggling to once again deal with all of these different emotions that I was feeling. And I thought, how can I get myself out? Which then spurred me to developing the tools, the ceremonies, the ways to bring back that wholeness in my own life. And I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to, uh, that's just something I've always done. Um, So I guess if I could leave anything, if I could leave anything with people out there, any of the listeners out there is, you know, I have a, my story is, is pretty consistent through my life. I've had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of um, difficulties and, one of the tools that I've always used is to go out into nature or to find a way that I can do service or to give back and use that type of ceremony or, or tools to just find the beauty that is out there. Find the gratitude in what, what it is. You know, own your feelings. I've owned my feelings. When I've felt sad, I allow myself to feel sad. If I hurt, I allow myself to hurt. That's really been my saving grace. It's allowed me to, to continue to move forward. It's allowed me to continue to give back to people, to myself, more importantly. Because if, I, if you can't give to yourself and you can't own those feelings and shed light on whatever it is that's going on inside of you, it will eat you alive, or at least it has me. And so for me, it's been always about really digging deep into 
exposing whatever my truth is for my story. I have so much story. And now that I look, when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that's really happened to me. <laughs> that's, that was really something I went through because it doesn't bother me today. You know, it doesn't affect my life today. But the only reason it doesn't is because I can talk about it. There's light on it. And I own it. I'm, I'm, I honor it. You know, I, I've, doesn't mean I still don't experience moments of depression, but when I start to feel those moments of depression or isolation, I go out and I say hi to somebody. You know, I find a way to connect because I really believe that my, I know that part of my depression has come from not being able to connect to other people, to myself, to source, to nature. I mean, I don't care what it is, just connect to a place of love. And when you can connect to a place of love, then all of those things just don't have that power over you anymore. And I really, really, truly believe that so many people out there are struggling because they just want to connect. They want to feel heard. They want to feel loved. They want to feel accepted. And part of what I do in my business now is I help people find that for themselves. I help them empower themselves like I had to figure out how to do for me. Because the universe set it up to where I didn't have support. No matter where I turned, no matter what I did, if I made a phone call when I was in a desperate state, nobody was available. If I drove somewhere to try to find somebody, nobody was available. And I had to take a look at that and go, what is the universe trying to say to me? Well, I could have turned that into pity or self-whatever, but what I chose to do for myself was say, how can I learn from this? What can I give back to this? You know, what, how can I be better? And um, that was my saving grace. That was what I did to get to where I am today. I have a beautiful husband. I have an amazing child. And I have a business that offers support to others. Michelle, that's just such a powerful message. It's just such a powerful story. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm so touched by you coming in and sharing it with us. You know, and, and I think it's one of the things that is both shocking and not shocking about your story is that the abuse you experienced was just over and over again from every every place you might have wanted to feel safe. Oh, exactly. You know, and and your father, who wasn't your abuser, left, and then you're left with just this horrible situation, you know, and, and the strength that it takes to, like, just get through that yeah. <laughs> and just come out the other <laughs> side of it in any kind of way that's okay, and then to go from there you know, and, and lose your child and go into a place where you say, I need to get out of this and in a permanent way. And, and that, you know, that, that there could be light at that. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, it was, um, it was, you're right. Every angle. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I love the fact that I can now stand here and be okay with all of it. And have those supports now and have Absolutely. those. <laughs> and then give back. <laughs> that gives me the most joy. Yes. I mean, I find so much f fullness in providing that space for others. Yeah. Because it's what I wanted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more importantly what I needed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that is my gift. That is what I am here, I believe, to offer this world because we all have something to offer. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's, for me, it's just a really powerful story. It, it, it's funny doing this show because I ask people to come on and tell kind of the most horrible moments of their life. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and, and what comes out of it is this feeling of connection. Mm-hmm. And then this feeling of wholeness and the way that we're all connected and we all go through such, such difficult things yeah. and to come out of it with a message that's like, I, 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 I stood in that darkness and stepped out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to offer that to others that no matter how dark it is, because I've lost people to, you know, suicide as well. And no matter how dark it is, reach out. There's light through that. I promise you there is. Wow. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us at the Depression Session. Again, I want to mention that if you found some of the content of today's show triggering, please seek professional help. And worst case scenario, call 911 if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.